Well, good morning, church. So uh, great to see you, and uh, we're so thankful for you. Uh, appreciate each one of you as I look out and see you. Uh, it's just amazing uh, the thoughts that run through my head and uh, the, the gratitude that I do have for so many of you, except a couple of you. But, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's just great. We, uh, we're so thankful. We want to thank the Brooks for hosting the men up at their cottage in Huntsville yesterday. A great day. Well, we're journeying in holiness, hostility, and hope. And uh, last week we learned this wonderful thing about the people of God in this wonderful little church, new church, uh, that they were just on fire for God. And they served like crazy. They, they stepped out in faith to take service. They did acts of faith and, and work. They, they labored. And sometimes ministries labor. And they labored in love for the people and for each other and for the glory of God. And then they endured with great patience and hope. And uh, we pick it up today. Verse 4 through 10 is our text. Uh, I'm going to read... Um, again, I want to just say very, I, I mean this and I love this, that in my hand I hold the written word of God. As I read it and study it and apply it, my mind will be renewed. My heart will be transformed and my life will be changed. And this is true of you. So we take the Word of God and we read it together, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into what the Lord has for us today. And we've been praying, I've been praying very, very hard for this message because I believe the Lord wants to do something in some of your hearts. You've been thanking them for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, brothers and sisters, actually, the word delphoi is just talking about uh, the siblings, those who are part of the family of God. And uh, so if, there's, if that's what it means in particular and not specifically to men, we're going to use brothers and sisters. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. But with, uh, but with full, we also know, sorry, also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We know what kind of men we prove to be among you. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy, uh, the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning to us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned from, uh, to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word of the Lord. And you could say, if you want, praise be to God. 
I want us to say something today. This is not a mission statement. It's a thought. Okay? But it's true. There's truth in this, and I think it's going to help us to understand uh, our passage, and in particular, a very difficult statement in our passage that was, we're going to be dealing with. So can you say this with me out loud? Just read it first to yourselves, because I want you to be able to say it with some, some oomph. So if you just read that over. And now let's say this together. In love, God chose and called Summit Community Church into existence. Responding to the gospel with joy, this spiritual family knows and intentionally follows Jesus Christ, modeling and guiding others to do the same in Richmond Hill, York Region, and around the world. Friends, it's really true, and what I want you to understand is this, that in His love, God called, chose, predestined, elected this spiritual community of Jesus followers to come into existence. Let's go after our text. In 1 Thessalonians 1.4, we read, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Again, we talked about this, brothers and sisters, this familial word, this belonging word, a connection word, because they are now in the family of God. They're loved by God. God is their father, and he loves them. They're beloved. And now this wonderful phrase, he has chosen you, selected you, elected you, the truth of God choosing and electing or people having free choice has been unfortunately turned into a divisive debate amongst Christians. What was meant to bring such a deep assurance, comfort, and strength to his people, to the community of faith, has wrought confusion, lack of confidence, and ill will sometimes in his church. Some things are helpful to understand, but in the end, the church is called to live in this beautiful tension and awe-inspiring mystery or paradox. The fact of the matter is this. The Bible teaches that God chooses, elects, and predestines. And it teaches that humans choose have responsibility, and will be held accountable for their choices. And there's mystery there. And there's tension there. But it is an awe-inspiring mystery. And in the mind of God, there is no confusion... There's no contradiction. There's no misunderstanding in his infinite mind. We finites struggle with it, don't we? Do you? I remember one time my brother talking to me. He would call. You know, he was AWOL. He was uh, living on the streets for 26 years, a heroin addict, alcoholic. You name it, he did it. I remember he would sometimes call because back in those days, he believed in this thing called the rapture. And uh, 
he would phone me literally sometimes two or three in the morning in a drunken state or high on drugs, you name it. And I would pick up the phone, I'd go, hello? And I would hear this breathing, I'd say, hello, hello, hello? Nothing. You know how many times this happened in our home in a 25-year period? I couldn't understand it. I thought someone was messing with us. I had the joy of leading my brother in the waters of baptism after he was miraculously transformed. And in the, in the tank, he's telling a story, and he says how he would phone me in the middle of the night for 20-some-odd years. And he would say, he said, if I just heard his voice, I knew the rapture wouldn't come and there'd be hope for me. I remember one time I asked him, before he had trusted Christ, he, he would show up sometimes and we, he'd live with us, you know, it would go south, he'd steal a bunch of stuff and be gone. I remember one time asking him about faith and trusting Christ, and he said this statement. He said, Jerry, I just think you're chosen. I'm not. This issue was very personal for me. It wasn't a theological meaningless debate. It hit to the very core of my heart. And so I had to come to an end. And I ran after this issue from both sides. I read, I studied. And I can tell you that after all of these years, I don't fully understand it, even though I've studied it at deep, deep length. And it's easier to jump in one ditch or the other on this. But I choose the middle where somehow they both are in play. Fully. But there's something of late that's helped me. I hope it helps you. When it says here in the text that he has chosen you, what's very fascinating, and I would say that almost every place in the entire New Testament where this word is used, it is used in the plural. One of the great detriments of growing up in the Western world is the propensity to interpret everything in the Bible from an individual perspective. Some of you reread this passage and you're thinking only in terms of yourself. It was not the intent of the apostle. They lived in a communal uh, you know, society and being a Jewish uh, apostle coming from the teachings of Jesus and his radical transformation, he was thinking about, you always think, Jews never thought about individuals, they thought about the nation, it's the people. And I believe that the Holy Spirit through Paul is addressing to the church collectively, the group, not an individual, that he has lovingly chosen, elected, predestined that community of faith in the Thessalonica, that Jesus would be called into existence in that group. He would call them into existence. 
In Acts chapter 16, we talked about this in the very first introduction to this series, where Paul wanted to go to Asia to preach the gospel. Him and his colleagues, they're going, and they want to go to Asia. But it says, the scripture says, it's the Holy Spirit forbidden it. He was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So then he decides, we're going to go to Bithynia, and we're going to preach the gospel. And it says that the Holy Spirit prevented him. So now what does he do? He makes his way down to Troas, to the coast. That's just the best thing. When you don't know what to do, go to the beach. <laughs> and here he is. He's at the coast. He's on the beach. And he's sitting. And he's thinking, obviously, and praying. He goes to sleep. And in the night, the Holy Spirit then, who had you know, forbidden him to go here, prevented him from go there, the Holy Spirit then speaks to him, and he gives him a vision. And the vision is a Macedonian man standing there calling them to come over and help us. And they conclude that the Spirit of God wanted them to go to Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. He wanted to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. So they go across, and they go to Philippi, and you know what happens there? You know, they start teaching and leading this businesswoman to Christ, and then he, uh, you know, a, a, a girl who's been bothering him has a, a spirit of, you know, she's a, a a spirit of divination, and he turns and casts that demon out of her. But that, with that demon going, so went all of the lucrative work that she would, the money that she would gain for the people that sort of owned her, if you will. An uproar takes place. A riot is caused. They're thrown in jail. Then at night, the earthquake happens. They're all free to go, but they don't. They stay there, and the jailer, who's going to kill himself because he thinks they're all escaped, he said, no, no, we're here. And he calls out, what does he do? What do I have to do to be saved? Paul leads him to Christ, baptizes him that night at midnight. And then they get sent out of Philippi, and they come to Thessalonica in Macedonia. This church, they start, they go, you know, as we read, he went to the synagogue, he starts speaking with people in the community, they start, and people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Why did this church happen? Just because Paul decided to? No, because in the heart of God, he called, predestined, elected that there would be a community of Jesus followers in Thessalonica. Now, did Paul choose to go there, preach the gospel and all of that? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. And behind the scenes, God was leading this whole strategy because in his great love, he elected that a, a chosen ecclesia, a chosen community, a church, a community of Jesus would be born there. And he says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you. How did they know? He's going to give some reasons. And that's what we're going to look at today. The reasons how he knew that God had elected that there would be a community of Jesus followers be birthed in Thessalonica. It has ramifications and application of truth for us along the way. That we too can have confidence that God elected. You're not here uh, by mistake this morning. That God elected, chose, predestined a community of Jesus followers in Richmond Hill to gather in a place known as Summit. And that ought to encourage your hearts. So, 
How did they know? Well, we know that I'm going to apply it right off the way so that everything that we know, this is true of Thessalonica, it's going to be for us too, okay? Are you okay with that? I mean, I could do it all for Thessalonica and then extend the message even longer and come back and say how it happens, but I thought we'd circumvent a little time there. Stop laughing so hard, Lori. And we would just sort of trim it up. Here we go. How do we know that Summit is chosen by God just the same way that we know that Thessalonica was? Number one, by the nature of how the gospel comes to us. I would like to draw this parallel of our community of faith here with, with Thessalonica as we move through, giving us assurance and building the application to us today. There are similar reasons how you and I know that in this community of faith, God chose us. And the first one is that God was, that we know that Summit was chosen by God because of the nature of how the gospel, the word, comes. Verse 5, we know, brothers and sisters, you've been chosen how? Because, here's the reason, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The gospel, we know that they were chosen because the gospel came not only in word. Did it come in word? Did it? Yes. Please, I know people love this. They hang their hats on it. They use it as an excuse to never share the gospel because someone way back in history said, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. We latch onto it, we talk it, we hold it high. It was given in a very specific context for a very specific reason because people's lives were hypocritical and shallow. So he was challenging them to have life's worth living. Then when that's true, if necessary, use words. Never from cover to cover in the scripture are we ever, ever, does the gospel ever come without words. Get it? We have to open our mouths. There is good news about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we have to speak it. There's the confessional nature of our faith but if it's just words, and that's it, nothing else to back it, that's shallow. So he's saying that we know the word it came not only in word, but also in what? Power. The gospel coming through Paul, Silas, and Timothy came in words, but also in power. There was a, you know, when you, when you cursory quickly read this, you might think, Oh, just a sign. This came while well, there are signs and wonders. But when you really dig actually into the text and into the original languages, you're going to find something that does not exclude that, but there's something more primary. When it talks about coming in power, it has to do with the actual preaching itself. The power of the word and the preaching of it coming through the lives where the Holy Spirit had power in them. It's very, very clear. In Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. The gospel is power because the Spirit is present in it and through it. In the Holy Spirit, that is in the agency, in the operation of the Holy Spirit, in the act of sharing Christ, sharing the gospel, the power, He is the power of God through it. That's why in Acts 1.8 it says, you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. 
You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. The assurance given that actually God chose them was the, the Spirit's work and the power released given to the preachers, the teachers. It's the nature of the gospel came through to them. They shared the gospel. They knew that the Spirit was somehow working. They sensed He was giving them words. His power was alive and active in those words. The Spirit was convicting and convincing people and doing its wonderful work in them. That is in the Thessalonians. But first, it was coming through these people. That's why they could say they know what kind of men we prove to be. The Spirit had also been working in power in the ones who were bringing the message in their own hearts and character. So primarily, the power of the Spirit and the full conviction through the apostles' preaching was the reason why God chose this one. They could know God chose this. There's result. Like they, it was, they could sense it when you preach. There are times when I'm preaching and I know I'm really struggling. There's times, though, I know when the Holy Spirit is doing something. He is teaching you. He is convicting you. He is raising things in your life. He is, he is, he's speaking. Now, whether or not you react to that, you know it's happening. Whether or not you respond to him affirmatively or not. But sometimes, and that's the Spirit's power coming through. However, if there's passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Romans 15, 8 and 19, and especially Galatians 3, 1 to 5, shows us and tells us that the Spirit's power, the Spirit-empowered communication also has Spirit-empowered miracles or works. And accompanying that, the power of the Word of God is often some sort of manifestation, a deliverance. We saw that happen in Philippi. A healing, a sign or a wonder. And this was so true in what happened there in the call to go to Macedonia and the deliverance of the slave girl, you know, all kinds of things. So the first, even though the first reference is to the anointed preaching or the power of the gospel upon the teachers and the preachers and the word itself, the very presence of the power of spirit is likely to also include some sort of accompanying phenomenon. Friends, if we are going to have, understand that God is alive and well in this church, he's chosen us and he's, we need to see him working. The power of the word of God taught as people respond to it, make life-changing hard decisions. And then to see God do things in the hearts and lives of people, giving words, giving a vision or a dream or a, a deliverance we have set free and we see how people have been set free from lies they've carried in their past, healing and wholeness in the depths of their soul and God's working. So, I just want to encourage us, just like in the Thessalonians, they could say, we know God chose you because, wow, because the gospel came in the power through the preachers and in the results it bore in the people. You understand that? Okay. Let's move maybe a little more quickly. How do we know that someone is chosen by God? Secondly, in the manner that the gospel is received. The first one, the emphasis is on the giving. 
and what God's Spirit is doing. The second one was how it was received. And let's just look at this statement. I'm going to pull it out of the middle of two verses, and we're going to go back to those terms because it's, it's sort of what's couching this statement. For you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You receive the word in much affliction with the joy in the Holy Spirit. So this community of Jesus was, had received the gospel in the midst of much suffering. Economic stresses coupled with this new and heavy persecution because of their allegiance to a new king. Even in the midst of all of such difficulty, they were, they had joy. And it was the joy of the Spirit. And they had it in the middle of it. Now, please understand, I'm, I know this is, this is really exciting to me. They had joy right smack in the middle, in the ongoing thick and thin of persecution, difficulty, and trial. And it was the joy of the Holy Spirit. Contrast this for a second. Remember Jesus told a parable of the sower. He went out to sow and he spread seed and some landed on different kinds of soil. One of them landed on rocky soil. And when Jesus' disciples cycled back and asked him questions about this soil, the rocky soil, Jesus explains what it means in Matthew chapter 13. And here's what he said. He said that they initially received the word with joy. Initially. But when persecution and trial and affliction came, It was over. It was temporary. They left. The seed didn't take root anymore. When a congregation, when, when people receive the word of God with joy, it's not just their joy like back there. That was their joy, Jesus said. The joy of the Holy Spirit in the middle of suffering, not when it first comes and then they, get, they can't take it and they run. Christians, Christ followers, a community, how they know that they've been chosen by God is because right in the middle of the hardest times, the Spirit of God gives them joy. They're not happy about what's happening, but deep in the inner recesses of their being, there is joy there because the Spirit dwells there and He manifests His presence Galatians 5.22, that some of the evidence or the fruit, the manifestation that you know the Holy Spirit's alive and active in your life is love, joy, joy. And that's what happened. And that joy stays. It's not fleeting happiness. Some things really suck. Can I say that? Suck? I don't know some of you in this room and may have heard, but I was at a funeral this week of my friend, Tim, Tim Tang. Timothy Tang worked all year, gave four Saturdays of teaching here at this church, leading our church to become more intentionally intercultural. I had lunch with him just weeks prior. Healthy, fun, bike rider, athlete, love and life. He's on vacation, Labor Day weekend. And suddenly he has trouble breathing. And it got worse and worse. Paramedics came, they couldn't revive him, he's gone. His eldest son just graduated from university. His other one's in grade, I think, 11 or 12. And the younger girl leaves three. Devastating. And you know what I loved about the funeral? 
Because that community of faith of his church and those who spoke about it, they got up and they said, I'm angry. should not have happened. But somehow the presence of God is here. And they sang and they worshiped. And that theme kept coming. The integrity of dealing with hardship, but being buoyed, the the uplifting arms of the Lord giving them joy in their deepest recesses their being. And that's, how do you know that God has chosen you? Because in the middle of your hardships, There's a joy there. And some, we can know, we know, in the middle of our hardships, we know. Challenges galore we faced. Ten different main Sunday morning service locations. Set up and tear down for 22 years. We know the pain of people leaving and moving away, pain of hurt, pain of burnout, not to mention 16 years of frustration wrestling with nine government agencies to finally get a site plan approved. However, through it all, this God-chosen, predestined community of Jesus here in Richmond Hill Singing of joy today. I was in tears up here in the bullpen. What another phenomenal worship experience. We're singing with joy. We're still standing, but not just standing. We're surviving. We're thriving. And joy is at the heart of this church after all these years and all we've been through. We've continued to receive the word with joy. We keep intentionally and growing and becoming like Jesus and we keep learning from one another. This is what we do. This leads us to our next one. How do we know God, someone is chosen by God? Well, not only because of how the nature of the word and the gospel comes to us in, in power, but the manner the gospel is received in joy. Here's the, th- the third one. The difference the gospel brings to us. The difference gospel brings to us. And in this last verse where we had that verse that it says this, and you became imitators of us and the Lord. These were pagans. These were people that didn't know Christ. And here they, or they were of other religions, and here they came and became imitators of the apostle and his tribe and of the Lord Jesus himself. And not did they only just become imitators, they become example. To all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So again, it shifts from Paul to the Thessalonians, and he says, and you, actually in the Greek it's emphatic, you, the lives of you, you became imitators and an example. They began to live lives that reflected the life of Paul and the apostles and his colleagues and the life of Jesus Christ. Isn't that, that's what is supposed to happen. This isn't some religious club that you come and hang out with friends. That's a side benefit. We come together to become like Jesus Christ, shaping our characters, imitating him. 
And they influenced people in the surrounding regions to continue to live a life of faith despite whatever comes. You became an example. Originally, start meant by being marked by a blow. Something would take a, like a, and you'd hammer it into some steel and there'd be a mark there that would identify them. But it became more than that. It came to be mean a model or a mold for producing uh, more identical things. Christmas is coming. How many like star shortbread cookies? You're going to take a mold and you're going to press it into dough and again and again and again and you're going to make many cookies. And these people were marked by Christ and the apostles and they began to take their shape and then they became influencers or a mold, a model for others all around of how to live this life. You see, people put more trust in their eyes than their ears sometimes, don't they? We learn best from models. And church, what some young Christians need most are good models. People whose lives embody the way of Christ and who are worthy of being copied and then they can speak into their lives because their character gives authority to their message. Verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere. So we don't have to say anything about you guys. I mean, it's just growing like a snowball. It's getting bigger. It's spreading like crazy. So not only are there examples, now they're trumpeting out the word from this church and they're speaking the word of God around, you know, extending it past there. And then people who are hearing about this are even taking it further. It was a model and a message shared because of the powerful testimony of God. In Summit, it's incumbent upon us to not just be models and that's it. The story doesn't end there. We now, the word, the gospel, the good news must be trumpeted and echoed out from us to our surrounding region. And I pray, and there's some, it's happening to some degrees, that people around are hearing about this church and the reputation of our faith and what we've been through and what we're going to be doing for Christ. And it's catching. Here's the fourth thing. We know some it's chosen by God because of not only these three and the difference it makes, but in a slightly different way because of the change the gospel makes in us. The change, we become from doing our own thing to becoming imitators and models, but there's deep change that actually happens within us. And in this church, this is very true. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had, and here's the phrase, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the, uh, the living and true God. Listen, when someone is truly chosen by God, there is something very suspicious. Uh, specific that happens when the gospel comes in power not only it actually changes us we change from serving idols to serving the living God there is a transformation a 180 degree turn this is what the word repentance means when we are influenced by the gospel we turn from our idols and we serve the living and true God that's how you can know someone is chosen and this church is chosen. That's how we know. Because as a community, we've turned from our idols 
to serve the living and true God. Now, in first century Thessalonica, there's a pantheon of gods, obviously, in Greek culture. They, on a clear day, they could see Mount Olympus, and you know, uh, some of your studying Greek mythology and all the gods there. Plus, there was the imperial cult of Rome. Remember their influence and all of wherever they had that Caesar, actually, Caesar is Lord. That was a phrase they would use, Caesar's Lord. And then Christians came along and said, no, Christ is Lord. But Caesar is Lord. You have the, em the emperor worship and the imperial cult. You have all the other Greek gods and other types of pagan religions around. And this community did not add Jesus to their favorite gods. This is a great temptation in Canadian culture, is that I'm just going to add a little Jesus to whatever other beliefs I have. You don't add Jesus to any other belief or worldview. Jesus calls us to exclusiveness. He is Lord. And so we turn from whatever we are serving, whatever we are believing, to the living and the true God. Tim Keller talked about this, that we are all broken and we've all got these things that you know, we have this sense we don't measure up somehow, and we all look for things to try to help us and, and, and save us. We feel we're not worth it, so we, we, we are looking to success and to, to achievement. Why? Because we're hoping it's going to actually save something deep inside of us that feels so insecure and insignificant. Some people, you know, they just feel lonely or they feel like, you know, we all look to some man. You know, some women, they look to a man, to a husband, to a relationship so that it's going to save them. But so do dudes. We do the same thing. We hope just finding the right partner is someone going to save us and make us feel different about who we are, our whole perspective of ourselves. We all have all kinds of things that hide our fears, involvements and engagements that deal with deep fears. They're idols that we hope to try to overcome those fears. John Calvin, the great theologian, said that the human heart is an idol factory. So we turn from whatever those things we're relying on for ourselves. You know, identity, we, what we rely on to save us, what we rely on to bolster us so that others will think well of us. We turn from these idols that we trust in. They're hoped somehow they're going to forge us and secure us a new future to the living and the true God. And sometimes we even have to let go of an image of God that we've built in our own minds. It may not be a rock, or silver, but it is an image of God. We have fashioned him into something that we think we like, and that's the one we believe in, not the one that the scripture teaches us. That too is idolatry. We must turn from whatever idol in our minds or in our homes or in our thinking to the living and the true God. God does not exist for our happiness where he subjects himself to us. We 
live for him. Lastly, how do you know you're chosen by God? Well, the nature of how the gospel comes to us as a community, the manner we receive it with joy and difficulty, the difference it makes because now we become imitators of Christ and others walking in the faith, the change it makes from whatever it's bolstering us up and we're trusting into now Jesus and the living and true God, and lastly, the hope that the gospel gives us. How do you know someone is chosen? How did this church know it was chosen by God? Well, Paul and them knew it because of their hope. They served the living God and they were waiting to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. To wait for Christ's return is not some passive resignation in the middle of difficulty and persecution where we kind of hang on suffering until hopefully the end. No, to wait on God is an anticipatory endurance, knowing that victory is secure. So Jesus, who overcame the challenge, the trial, the persecution, his forsakenness and crucifixion and death, waited for his deliverance. Hebrews chapter 2 said, For the joy set before him endured the cross and sat down at the right hand. Do you think he just passively endured that? No, he had hope. He had hope. And Jesus is going to return, the scripture says, and reign and restore all all things. And he delivers us in the present and will in the future. He delivers us, present tense, now as is happening from God's wrath against sin. And he's ultimately going to save us from God's wrath that's coming against those who have rejected him. See, Jesus has already suffered all of the end time wrath for his people at the cross so that at the final end of history he will return and deliver them from the suffering along with the unbeliever in judgment. He has paid for their judgment. So we, the Christian church, the community of Jesus here in this region, because we've been chosen by God, we've been given this new life, we're being transformed in His image, we're on display for all to see, we turn from the idols of this world and serve Him, and we anticipate His return. You know you're chosen by God when you have an eye to eternity and you're living for it. And you can know. As a church, we can know. Let me just say it a little differently, same thing. We can know we're chosen by God because the gospel comes in power of the Spirit. The gospel is received with joy in our trials. It makes us examples to follow. It changes what we worship, and it envisions Jesus' return. This is true of us as a community of faith. We can know with assurance we've been chosen by God. There's no mistake elected, predestined by God before the foundation of the world, not only for the reasons we discovered here today, but through the parallel application of how this church was called. The summit journey began over 30 years ago. The Spirit began to stir the heart of a pastor named Nelson Annan. He was acting on something that was hinted at many years before that. So Nelson and his elders at Bayview with the 
God's predetermined plan to choose the birth of the community of Jesus in this region got together. And 26 years ago, the same Spirit of God spoke to my mind while sitting in my mountainside home in the Kelowna area. 25 years ago, leaving the place we never wanted to move from, but determined to do God's will for us, more important than our personal desires, Leah and I packed up our family and moved across the country. And after recruiting a core team from Bayview Glen, we were commissioned by God through the laying on of hands by the leaders at Bayview who had spoke, God had spoken to five years earlier. And in a couple of weeks, friends, we are going to celebrate our 24th an anniversary of our first public gathering when we open the doors to reach the community in Richmond Hill. And on the foundation of this very clear calling by the Holy Spirit to Nelson's team, to me and Leah, and the team who sacrificed to come on this journey, God predetermined by choice, he predestined and elected this community of Jesus to begin in Richmond Hill. And according to that, and all of the other reasons that we looked at here today, we have good reason to be greatly encouraged today. As God chose us and called us into existence as a community of faith, he predestined this community of Jesus to be conformed to his image. He elected us, this band of brothers and sisters, to love, worship, and serve him in this region. And sometimes there are people who hang around this community of Jesus who have not yet responded to this, who have ignored his call, have not joined this community of Jesus that God has chosen for his purposes. And so for some of you, it's time to step out of the shadows and embrace the fact that God has chosen you as a part of this community of faith. You need to receive Jesus his free forgiveness, invite him into your life and commit your life to follow him. Today's your day. And for others who are sitting here, who are part of this family, you maybe have succumbed to the relentless temptation of the idols around us in our culture. And maybe for you, it's time to turn from the hidden idol of your heart to serve the living and true God. They're not saving you. That idol is not saving you. It's trapping you. It's dragging you further away from Christ and his purpose for your life, perhaps even into isolation and into destructive patterns of behavior. And you're serving them, and they're demanding more and more and more, but leaving you more and more empty. It's time you acknowledge that you actually trust a different idol, not the risen Lord and living and true God. Turn today from that idol. I don't know what it is. Your looks, your money, your relationship, your achievement. What it is that you're trusting. It's time to turn. To live and trust and serve the living and true God. Surrender to the living Christ, the true Savior, the trustworthy one, and he will deliver you from the coming judgment of sin 
welcome you in the family of God, empower you to serve his purposes on this earth, and, uh, and you will find rest for your soul, fulfillment, and joy.